Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? Welcome, welcome along, one and all, to part A of episode 91 of the Howie Games. Hopefully you are having a great day. And this little show helps you continue along that path. You could improve my day by recommending the show to someone, someone you think may be interested in sport or likes a good story, tap them on the shoulder. If you could tell them about the show, that would be sensational. It will help us to continue to grow. This week, a man who I have long admired, two-time premiership player with the Brisbane Lions and premiership coach with the Geelong Football Club, Chris Scott. From what I know of Chris, and admittedly I don't know him that well, he seems to be a man of strong convictions, He's prepared to voice his opinions on the game. He always sticks up for his players and, as you'll soon hear, has a tremendous love for his footy club, an organisation he says he's indebted to, which is really cool to hear. Another thing I know about Chris is that he is a very, very, very private man, so I count myself fortunate that he agreed to come on the show. So you search and try to find, but you don't know where to go. So many thoughts flood to your mind. You're confused and want to know Mystery, what is to be So much more than meets the eye Listen to me, time is your key You will find out by and by This chat does go back and look at Chris's upbringing and his playing career, but it's hopefully more of an insight into the life of a modern coach, a role that seems to be part manager, part psychologist, part motivator and part teacher. Also, a role that forces some very tough decisions on those charged with the responsibility. I hope this episode gets away from the Chris Scott you see on game day and that you see in press conferences and takes you into the world of Chris Scott, the father, the husband, the brother, the leader, and the cook of some very, very fancy steaks. Enjoy. So when you search and then you find and know just where to go Thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion I. Welcome to the Howie Games Two-time premiership player at the Brisbane Football Club And Premiership coach of Geelong, Chris Scott, joins us on the show. Scotty, great to see you. Thanks for joining me. How are you going? Not too bad, Howie. It's it's good to be with you. It's um, certainly an interesting time, not an easy one, uh, but a time that we will remember for a long time, I'm sure. Before we get into the current state of the world, you're not a man that generally talks a great deal about yourself. So... How are you going to go opening up a little bit? Because it's not your natural environment, to be fair to say. No, this is this is going to be interesting. Actually, I've, I've I have done one other podcast for a friend a year or two ago, uh, and it it really surprised him when I agreed uh, to do it um, because he knows, you know, as well as I do, that I don't really like talking about myself. In part, that's because I'm not sure that my story is that interesting. Uh, but also, I've just been one to live in the moment as much as I possibly can, and um, you know, looking forward's a lot more fun for me than than looking back. But I think the current situation dictates that you know we do everything we can to uh, to reach out to people and 
And certainly that's been our policy at Geelong to try to be a bit more visible than normal. So I think the planets have aligned a little bit. And I think if you had have asked two months ago or, or, or in 12 months' time, I, I, I probably wouldn't be here. So we'll see how we go. So I've just snuck in at the right time. You rang me the other day and we had a bit of a chat about it. And you said to me, um, which filled me with joy, that you listened to some of the show and you said, oh, mate, I'm going to be boring compared to some of these people. You're a bit concerned that you weren't going to have the entertainment value, Scotty. Oh, well, I'm pretty sure of that, but I guess <laughs> that's for other people to judge. Uh, I do, I mean, I, I really enjoy listening to, um, you know, some people in particular and probably not even so much just the sporting achievement side of things, but the, the, the backgrounds of different people is really interesting. But, you know, I guess I've always been of the view that, I like listening to other people. I don't like participating so much. Um, Scotty, we, we just talked about the fact that you said you, you didn't think you were a man that likes talking about yourself and that you could be boring. And I said to you on our phone call, mate, that's up to me. Don't worry about that. And and you actually asked me the question, I hope you don't mind me saying this, but you said to me, what, what was it that sparked in your mind that you wanted to get me on? And I told you that um, I've followed you and your brother from a, a long time ago, way back to a cor- a story Neil Kearney did on Sports World when I was working there back at the 2001 Grand Final. But what got you to the forefront of my mind was reports that you had sacrificed your entire salary during the difficult corona period to help the footy club. Now, I don't know if those reports are true. I don't know whether you want to comment on that. But I said to you, I'd love to know about what makes someone so invested in an organisation that they would be prepared to do that. Because when you read that, you think, wow, that, that, that's a pretty big measure. But when you actually think what's involved with that, with a family and discussing it with your partner and bills to pay and mortgages, it's it's a massive move to do. And it showed me that there must be some tremendous link between you and the organisation you work for. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about. That was the spark for me. Yeah, well, I mean, I do love the cats. They've been so good to me. There's nothing that I could do in the next period of time um, to swing the balance um, the other way. You know, I, I will always be indebted to the to the footy club for the opportunity that they've given me. I mean, they could terminate me tomorrow, um, you know, in the most brutal of ways and I'd still, I think, the next day after a period of grieving Turn around and say, "Look, thank you very much for the opportunity that you've you've given me." Mm. And you know, without going too much into the detail of the current situation, because I do find it a little bit embarrassing that um, I was singled out um, when really the attitude of all our people is we're all in this together. Yep. And for me, it wasn't much more. Com- it was a pretty easy decision, and it just wasn't complicated. It was the Monday after. Uh, the shutdown was announced. So it was announced Saturday afternoon. We were in, in crisis mode. Uh, and w- when you're in that mode, I think the couple of things need to happen. You need to acknowledge that the situation's really serious, which we did, clearly. Uh, the second thing is that your leaders need to, to stand up. Uh, and then the third thing is I think you've got to overcorrect a little bit to make sure that... Um, you know the 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 the, two, the first two parts, you know, are are front and centre, but also the detail that needs to be worked through, um, you know, has to be um, prioritised. Um, so when we we're in a situation on Monday when we were standing down 
all of our coaches. Um, I, to be honest, I actually thought that included me anyway. Um, but but when it became clear that it didn't, it, it was a no-brainer to say, well, no, no, we'll, we've just got to work through this. The, um, the, the finances, um, you know, in my situation can be worked through when the crisis has been averted. But and, until then, we've just got to take the attitude of, you know, whatever it takes to, to get through it. And I guess it's an easy thing to say um, at the time and it's going to bite uh, in the next couple of months, that's for sure. Um, but one thing I do know is that we've got a really united footy club and, and I sense the AFL's a bit that way as well. You know, if there are any little cracks, they're going to be magnified. And that's the media's job. I understand that completely. But mm. at least to my observation, um, there's been a really united front in fighting a common enemy. I mean, I, there's been bits and pieces with the players and their their pay cuts and different people taking different levels, and everyone's circumstances are are different. But and I, I think that uh, that those reactions are driven in large part by the uncertainty of it all. Um, so you know, I don't think we should be critical of anyone necessarily, but um, at least yeah, at least from my perspective, I think um, you know the the way the industry is united in the in the fight has been impressive to see. So you're just at home now sort of planning ahead and having tomato sauce sandwiches <laughs> and that's about it, maybe a couple of wheat picks for your daughter. <laughs> you have, yeah, to, you have yeah, to laugh it's... in times like this. It's a serious issue, but you, like, you have to laugh, mate, don't you? Oh, you have to. Yeah, you have to. And I think even like, kids are the great leveller with these things. They, uh, As I said, my daughter's probably in the sweet spot where she knows enough to know it's serious and she can't, you know, throw the toys out of the cot but she's not so old that she's really worried about the situation you know she talks about the coronavirus and what it means for um she asked the other day if we're poor and I said well we're, we're poorer than we used to be but you know we'll, <laughs> till, we'll be okay till before I made this grand gesture and then thought oh crikey <laughs> yeah but I mean even the empathy that a six-year-old can show yes. um it, it 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 helps you know and she She's very funny at the moment, so um, you know that part hasn't stopped. But you know, every now and again, you just see those little little bits of empathy shine through. You know, what does this mean for Ava, my friend who lives on the farm? And that they're, they're sort of nice conversations to be having that would have been a lot harder um, without this. We don't want to progress this to be a. Uh this is your life with Chris Scott going through games of football. We'll get to footy in a moment, mate. But firstly, right back at the start, can you tell me um, a little bit about your family? And I referred to Neil Kearney's story. Um, I'm not sure if you remember it. This is a man that taught me everything I know or I don't know about about sport and the media. He spent a day with um, your grandmas on both sides, your mum, your family at your first grand final. Emotional time for all footy fans. But imagine if you're the mum of twin boys and they're both playing in the biggest game of their lives. Sports World's Neil Kearney has this story on a lion-hearted mother. And we feel for our children and uh, we feel their pain and their joy. And I guess I'm no different from any other mother. We're very excited and uh, looking forward to the boys putting in their best performance. Lynn Scott took her family to their first grand final yesterday. The way everyone spoke about your mum in that story, I watched it again yesterday, absolutely hit me. So can you just tell me a little bit about your upbringing? Yeah, it's rare that um, I talk about it. Um, Are you comfortable to talk even, about it? Yeah, no, it, it, it's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll 
I'll, I'll speak um, up to the level of my comfort. Yes. Um, and it's not, I mean, it's not a secret. It's not as if uh, I'm so guarded that, you know, I don't want anyone to know. I, I just think that over time, um, you know, probably the best time to get me was back then when we were young kids and the I, I remind our players um, quite a bit now when it comes to dealing with the media that um, to an extent it has to be on your terms. You need to be comfortable, um, you know, answering certain questions and I don't know or I'm not comfortable with that is a perfectly acceptable answer. Mm-hmm. Now that's in the context of us as a club um, really encouraging our players to get out there. I love, um, you know, seeing the personality of our players shine through. Um, but, yeah, I guess for me over time I've just become more and more guarded around um, around my privacy and it's it's not because there's anything to hide or, or not even that I'm that uncomfortable with it. Um, I, I, I don't really like the um, the public nature of my job and I will get to answering your question no, no. Um, in a second but um, you know if I if I could do this job in private um, it would be so much better um, what don't and, what, and that, what don't you like about the public nature of it mate uh, well I, I guess coming back to that idea of um, compartmentalizing your life uh, it's very very difficult um, in a perfect world I would have my job and then I'd have my private life and my friends and Mm -hmm. the things I I do out in public without even thinking about um, my job. But those two things have just merged beyond repair. Um, And and that's, some people actually enjoy it. And there are, there are good parts to it. I I find people in Geelong in particular really polite, really friendly, and I I like having those conversations. Um, But I guess I've just come to the view that I don't like having eyes on me all the time. Um, and, again, there's nothing to hide necessarily, but it'd be nice, for example, to live overseas at some point and just be able to go about your business without thinking about um, how how everything um, sort of revolves around uh, the work side of things. I mean, even the like the media stuff, like believe it or not, I do quite a bit of it um, because I consider it to be an important part of my job. You know, the, the club insists that I do a certain amount and that's the right thing um, for everyone. And I quite like talking about footy. Once you get into it, um, that's fine. But I wish um, I could do that and then go and live my um, life in private um, away from it all. But that's just impossible. So where would you go? Again. If you could if you could choose, because I know you're a, a well-travelled man. I'll, I'll get you back to your family. There's no hurry here. If you could choose one place to live, take us on a side journey. Where are we going? Well, I would live in Park City. Utah. In Utah. Yeah, believe it or not. Well, you're going to be an aerial um, skier or a Mormon. Well, what, no, there's, there's, no, there's no risk of that. Um, and, and Park City is just this nice little oasis in, um, in, um, in Utah that's it's got all the good parts of, I think, the modern world. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a ski town as well, yes. so I love that. Right. I love that that side of things. But it's beautiful all year round and, you know, close enough to get to the big smoke if you want to, but small enough to be able to hide away a bit. So that that's me. Um, but my, my wife and daughter would be in the south of France, I think. Okay. So um, I know they'll win the argument. And if, if, that's, if that's what I've got to put up with, then I'll find a way. Back to the contract situation, it might be the Albury Caravan Park. You know, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, correct. Well, 
there are cheap places to live in the <laughs> south of France. Yeah, I'm not too sure there's too many. So you've explained to me um, how you would have the ideal separation of your life, but we were actually having a chat about your family and your upbringing. So, again, only what you're comfortable talking about. Yeah, so we grew up, um, when I say we, but I, t- I tend to talk about my upbringing in the context of uh, my twin brother and I. Mm-hmm. Um, so mum really brought up five kids by herself. Our dad died when Brad and I were eight and our younger brother was five. Um, And really, I mean, my summary of our childhood would be that we wanted for nothing. Went to private schools from grade five, had every opportunity that you could ask for as a a young kid. And it wasn't until we got older that we realised the enormity of you know, what our mum did to, to get us all through. Um, mum was a teacher um, when um, my dad um, passed away. Can you tell me um, a bit about your dad? Worked. Yeah, so he was, um, I mean, I was only eight. So, and it's it's been a bit of a raw time over the last couple of years because, um, you know, I've, I'm, I'm only just older than dad was when he died. Yep. And so there was a little period there where it was like, wow, you know, imagine having five kids you're 41, 42, and, and you pass away and hand it over to your wife to um, to, to find a way through that situation. Well, I mean, I don't know how I'd do that with one. No, you, you can't yeah, comprehend so that. Yeah, but, but it, does, it does help a little bit um, to put in perspective just um, what an amazing job um, my mum did. So we had a family news agency that Dad ran. I mean, mum virtually took over that overnight um, and and raised five kids by herself. I mean, she's only just stopped working in news agencies and they, um, and, and, and even then, I mean, the news agents were a good business back when I was eight, um, not, not so good mm. through the, um, you know, transition into the digital age. Um, but mum was still, still working shifts at the local news agency um, when the, coronavirus hit. Um, so she's a glutton for punishment, that's for sure, because they're, um, they're, they're difficult businesses with long hours. Um, but, you know, that was the insignificant part compared to bringing up the five of us by ourselves. And, and again, it would be really easy for us to look back and say, oh, you know, we were deprived of this and that. But, you know, aside from having dad there all the time, I, I can't point to anything where, um, you know, we weren't given great opportunity in it you know it'd be, be nice to sort of reflect on it and think well I've found a way to um, to get through serious adversity but it just doesn't feel that way it just it feels like we had every chance and and any success we've had a big is because of um, the opportunity that mum put in front of us your dad served yeah he did he was a pilot um, in the army um, flew um, reconnaissance planes um, in Vietnam. He actually won the Distinguished Flying Cross, which is very rare. Not many people, certainly Australians, um, and and my knowledge of it's not very good, so um, the experts will probably pull me up on some of this, but my understanding is it's it's a a rare... um, It's a rare award, even to the point where I remember marching in the Anzac Day um, parades, you know, wearing um, replicas of... Maybe actually we even wore the real thing, um, Dad's medals, um, 
and and having you know the old timers come up and say you don't know how 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 rare that award is so yeah, it was he was he was a really interesting guy. Um, uh, after he got back from um, Vietnam, um, finished his time in the army, ended up flying helicopters down in um, Antarctica. Mum and Dad lived in Port Moresby for a period there. I guess the Queenslanders really. My older brother and sister were born in in Queensland. Unfortunately, Brad and I were born in Melbourne. Big V. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, and my younger brother, Ben, as well. Um, but in my recollection and the way it was described to me was um, Dad was flying a helicopter in Antarctica um, one day and there was a whiteout. And if you're in a helicopter in the snow and there's a whiteout, it's hard to tell which way's up and which way's down. And um, I think Dad found his way through that somehow, um, came back to wherever came back to, to mum and said, right, that's it, I'm out. Right. We're, we're going to move to Melbourne. We're going to buy a news agency. One final question on this, I don't want to labour it, and, and I was reading a little bit about your dad last night and the fact he passed away when you and Brad were eight and that's the age of my son at the moment. And as you will appreciate once you have kids, um, you become much more an emotional person. I certainly do. I never used to cry and then I had kids and I find myself crying all the time. And I was thinking to myself, he must have at this stage, we've done so much together, we've travelled together and we've learnt things together and we've had all these experiences together, me and my young bloke who is eight. I wonder how much, though, as he grows up, he remembers of that first eight years and it's sort of the obvious question to me was how much do you remember of time with your father? Because to me, my eight-year-old is full of memories of me, but time obviously fades and the young mind forgets a lot of stuff. It's a really interesting point. I, Especially over the last couple of years, I have thought about it, you know, for the reasons you outlined. I, My recollection is vague of, of Dad. You remember snippets, um, but nowhere near as much as uh, I would like to. And, and I think... Uh, the the digital age will help. You know, we'll be able to, you know, if if I if I wasn't around, um, I think you know, in fifteen years' time, there'd be enough um, there'd be enough photos and video footage and that sort of thing for Layla to be able to go back yeah. and get an it's sort of jog her memory a little bit. But um, even you know, aside from that, I, I think more than I ever have that you've got to create those moments that that you can remember uh, and it's, you know, it, I, I try to, and this comes back to the the privacy um, that, that I sort of aspire to in my life, it's I don't want those memories to revolve around footy and I, I love the game and I, I'm very appreciative of what it's done for me but as it relates to my daughter, like, I'd like, like to, and I think my wife's really good at this. She, you know, one of the things I admire about her is that, um, you know, She'd be happy for footy to be gone tomorrow, mm. I think, in a way, um, because she sees that, you know, there are other really good parts in our, in our life and, you know, we're not, we're not defined by our success or otherwise um, um, at the footy club. And, and I'd like my daughter to think the same way. You know, and really in some ways school's been a bit of a challenge for her because before she went to school last year, I don't think she really had any idea of who I was. Mm. 
Um, <laughs> and so, so trying to sort of educate her around there's the Geelong coach and, and then there's dad and they're, they're <laughs> not necessarily exactly the same person. But <laughs> yeah, she's been through her ups and downs there at, at, at school. Geelong's a small place. It's hard to hide. Um, obviously the twin brother thing is um, something that people have tried to engage you with. I was having a look last night at a press conference on your 35th birthday. Um, so it's 2011, the first time um, you're going to coach against each other. And I sat through it for 25 minutes and two more uncomfortable blokes I've never seen. Did you do anything for your birthday before the match then, together? <laughs> Stand off. Uh, no, just day in the life. Another day of training this morning, preparing for a big game. You must have been looking forward to this press conference today, will you? Oh, yeah, it's, it's been a real highlight on the calendar. Um, and you still understand the interest people have? Of course, of course, yeah. I, I think it's, um, you know, it, it is unusual and it's the first time that the two identical twins have ever coached against each other, so I understand that's, a, that's of great interest. But when you're 35 years of age and you've been constantly compared and... and um, and spoken about as, as one instead of individuals, it, it probably starts to wear thin after a while, but, but I can completely understand the, the interest uh, other people have in it. And there was a question from the floor. It might have been Mark Robinson at the end saying, oh, is that as bad as, as you thought it was going to be? Um, and you said something along the lines of, yeah, well, it wasn't much fun. How have you dealt with... Um, how have you dealt with being a twin I'm imagining in some ways it's an enormously special part of life but in other ways it must be a bloody nightmare yeah it wasn't good <laughs> it wasn't good it's the worst I've done yeah you summed it up well we I mean I think I mean we love it we wouldn't change it the but as I alluded to before our childhood was fantastic uh, great having someone to always kick the footy back to you and play cricket with, and and we've always been close. I mean, like all brothers, we had our moments growing up, and um, you know we'd we'd fight as much as um, you know the next um, group of kids. But um, you know, right right through um, you know our lives, it, I mean, it's quite it's it's strange in a way that our paths have been so similar, because there was often at at, at turning points there was that sort of imperative to go and do something different and um, have your own identity. Even I was taken away, um, taken away, that's not a very good way of expressing it. I was drafted at the end of year 11 at school, so I missed my year 12 year, which was it was a challenge for me, um, even more so than the moving away and going to boarding school and playing AFL footy in my first year. I, I loved my school um, and some of my, well, my best mates, um, are still my schoolmates that I met in grade five. Um, and, and Brad and I, you know, almost to a man, have there's a bit of there's a bit of overlap, you know, because we went separate ways with some um, at different times. But m- for the most part, our, our friendship circle is the same. Um, but when I did move up to Brisbane, um, you know, the there was some appeal in having your own identity. And I think Brad really felt that as well. So he finished year 12 at St Kevin's. Um, while I was up in Brisbane, got drafted to Hawthorne uh, 12 months after I did, um, spent three years there and then we, we had the chance, which at the time felt like it was a now or never situation, um, to play together. And, um, you know, I I had the confidence that, 
you know, Brisbane were on the right track, um, had a really good young group of players and things were going okay for, for me there. And it, I guess from a selfish perspective, I even though I always thought I'd go back to Melbourne, it was just a matter of when. Um, you know, I was, I was even at that young age, I was, I think, what, 21, mm. 20 maybe. I was, I was just so focused on, you know, achieving team success and I thought that was the best place in the country to do it. And so in the end it was... It was a decision, well, if we're going to play together, it's got to be now um, and it's got to be in Brisbane. Um, and that was it was a fantastic decision in the end. Did you get in his but ear in and say, of, you know, come up here and play with me or was it just an organic thing? Uh, it was a bit more organic. Like in the end I think I did need to convince him a bit but I was really conscious that I didn't want to put so much pressure on him that, um, you know, he did something that he didn't want to do. And there was a downside to it. Like our, so our identities became merged again. Mm. And then, you know, we were, we, were, we were referred to as the twins and all that sort of stuff. And the positives outweigh the negatives by a mile. So it's not, but it was just a consideration that we needed to be, to be aware of. And, you know, even at that age, we we're like, yep, yeah, this, this is kind of what's going to happen. But um, if that's the worst we've got to deal with, um, we'll be fine. Now, having said that, he came up and we finished Stone Cold last um, in 1998. So he's questioning my my wisdom a little (laughs) bit. Um, But then, you know, again, the sliding doors moments, I think it's more complicated and nuanced than this. But if Lee Matthews wasn't appointed as head coach in 99, um, then a lot of the good things that happened in in my life um, wouldn't have happened. Back to Chris in a moment. Up next on the show, a guest that is frequently requested by you good people, Isha Gua, international cricketer, broadcaster, and this is a bright, happy and pretty vibrant chat with one of cricket's most loved broadcasters. However, it is also a tribute to Isha's beautiful mum, who sadly is no longer with her. The grief kind of kicked in after a few weeks, to be honest, and and it really just smacked me in the face like like I could not even imagine um, and I never expected because I just thought that like her I would just be really kind of philosophical and pragmatic and, and just try and live how she lived but it was it was pretty tough because I, I basically just I didn't care about anything I just did not care about doing anything um, let alone what was about to unfold that summer and, you know, working on the World Cup, working on the Ashes and all I wanted to do actually was just not do any of it and just go and just be somewhere else. That is Isha Gua coming up on the next episode of The Howie Games. All right, back to Scotty. We'll get to Lethal in a moment. Um, I know that, and you told me, which I was stoked about, that you've listened to some episodes of the show, so you may be aware that my kids ask questions along the way, Scotty. Um, my eight-year-old and my 10-year-old. Uh, you get my 10-year-old, Sky, who operates as the pickle because, uh, well, you'll, you'll understand why I'm bringing it up to you now. Hi, Scotty. Pickle here. I have two sets of identical cousins, but I can't tell them apart, ever. Only when my aunts tell me what clothes they're wearing. We watched you go down the slide and we saw you swap clothes with your brother. It was really funny. Can people still mistake you two? It's a good question, Pickle. Um, 
people are not, we're actually quite different when you see us together, mm. uh, but apart is the challenge for, for most people. And I, I, I think it's, it's trying to work out which difference goes with which brother. <laughs> uh, we, yeah, well, I mean, we've just for a long, long time, it's second nature to us now. It's amazing how many people in Geelong, when I'm wearing Geelong colours, will call me Brad. <laughs> and it's, so uh, it sounds, it's hard to explain how you can make that mistake <laughs> yes. um, in, in that sort of situation. Um, but for a long time, we've been conditioned to just answer um, for both. So I would say nine times out of 10, I don't correct people unless I think it's going to be a really long conversation. So, and, and I have made the mistake of thinking it was going to be a short conversation and <laughs> been engaged in five minute conversations as Brad um, and, and getting to the point where it's too far down the track to, to make the correction. Um, but yeah, if, and I mean, I, I think I said once publicly that I do find it funny when opposition supporters are heckling me and calling me Brad, um, <laughs> which was a mistake because now they all do it um, and they all think they're the first and the funniest. Um, but, yeah, it, that, that, is, that is one part that, that hasn't worried me. But I do, I feel for your uh, little oh. um, twin cousins, are they pickle? Yeah, mate, we've got uh, both yeah. my sisters have got um, identical twins. Thankfully I dodged that bullet. Well, yeah, there's positives and negatives, but, yeah, it's um, telling them apart. It's a hard one. Fortunately, I guess for people with us, my, after 14 years of footy, my nose is um, not what it used to be, so <laughs> do, do you, that helps. Do you have any of that, um, and this is a simple yes or no, do you have any of that sort of freaky twin intuition between each other or is that just not part of you and your brother? I would say we have a really mild dose of it. Okay. I mean, the... Um, the woo-woo stuff is not um, my go. Um, What'd you say, the woo-woo I, stuff? Yeah, so there's nothing, I don't think there's anything um, mythical about it. Right. But um, I think um, we just, it's more than its more than just the, um, you know, the nature versus nurture. I think, you know, we do know each other inside and out, so that helps. But, yeah, I think there is a little bit more to it and um, how to explain it and how it manifests is, is hard, but try. Yeah, we. Um, well, I, I think the things that annoy him um, annoy me as well, um, and you can almost forecast the things that, um, or, or the challenges that are going to pop up, you know, in certain situations. And I guess you just feel it so um, intensely yourself, and there's just that that confidence that. Well, if I'm feeling it, I'm pretty sure Brad would be feeling it as well. As I said, that was a poor attempt to explain. No, no, how no. I- that was a, that was a good. That was a, a good ex. Well, I, I can't sit in your shoes because I, I'm not a twin. We, we had two kids, and there was, you know, we had a thought of a third. But when both my sisters had twins, I wasn't prepared to go from two to four. So, um, but yeah, uh, I don't want to deal in, in specific games of footy too much, and I know that's the last thing you want to do. Um, but you won a couple of premierships alongside your brother. Firstly, as a coach, how would you describe yourself as a player? Because you were seen as, um, you know, 200-plus games, really skillful, but real sort of hard-ass stuff, real tough, rough-and-tumble type of operators, you and your brother. How would you describe yourself now as a coach? Well, I guess I'd like to think that uh, I would do whatever the – I would describe myself as the player that the coach could go to and he would um, he would do whatever was asked of him. 
but whatever the role. And and I, I worked out really early on, um, you know, with the help of some of my early coaches, you know, what um, was important to the way I played. Um, and and Lee Matthews articulated this really well, and something that I tried to um, explain to to our players that um, you know this notion that you've got really two personalities. There's your football persona and who you are when you cross the white line. And then there's the rest of your life. And I guess that informs me when, you know, I talk about that desire to be a bit more private. I sort of mm-hmm. like to differentiate between who you need to be um, and who you really are. And Rebolt takes the mark. So I needed to play on the edge. I needed to be aggressive, um, especially later in my career. Um, so without being, hopefully, without being um, um, overconfident, but I, th- I probably, I never became the player I thought I could be. Um, I prob, I think, around about that first premiership. I was 25, 26, I think, um, and that. Looking back, that was the that was the peak of of my um, playing performance. Um, I I just I got injured after that, and and really struggled through the last six, seven years of of my playing career. Um, and because of that, you know that that sort of requirement to to play a certain way became even stronger because what I thought were my natural talents. I couldn't express hmm. as well as I um, would like to. I mean, I had designs when I was in my early twenties of being, you know, one of the really good players of the competition, um, and it just it just didn't work out that way for me. But it didn't, in a way, it made me even more determined. So, yeah, I, I guess I would, if I were coaching me, I, I, I guess the positive is um, you'd have a player um, that would do you know, virtually anything within the rules. And sometimes the rules, especially back in those days, were more, more blurry than they are now. Um, and, and so that would be the positive. The downside would be um, you might take things a little bit further than, um, than, than you're actually instructing him to. I've only got two questions about your footy career and then I really want to talk to you about coaching and moulding men, which is I know what you're far more interested in. Um, What's it like winning not one but two premierships with your brother? Like your twin brother, you've grown up together, kicking the footy in the park. It's your dream to play AFL and play in a grand final and win one, but with your brother? Like what are the emotions looking back on it now? It's, it's a really, really special thing. Brad Scott, who has been so good. He had the job on Hurd, kicks the ball to centre wing. Wellman front spot, good mark. Lynch has had a terrific day. He kicks straight. He'd be one of the players of the match. He would certainly be in line for the Norm Smith. He's had seven marks, ten possessions, kicked two goals for it. They've done it. He's got the ball in his hands, Bruce. A bit of history here. Lee Matthews has been to the top of the mountain for a second time as coach. Once at Collingwood. And now he's done the impossible. Brisbane have won the Premiership. And they've beaten the champs. Yeah, it is. And sometimes I think when I... I mean, I dislike talking about uh, my playing days, um, and, but when I say that, uh, even privately to friends and uh, and our players as well, like, I, I get the feedback occasionally um, from our coaches in particular that some of our players actually like hearing about 
the old days and, and how we went about it. Of course it. they do. Yeah, and I, and I guess I never really, th- I never really thought that. I mean, I, I was always and still probably am of the view that you don't want to be one of those guys that sort of talks about how good footy what it was back in my day and, um, you know, you guys don't know how lucky you've got it, that sort of thing. Um, and I think that still is my bias. But, yeah, I've, my eyes have been open to the fact that, um, you know, some of the young guys do like hearing about, you know, the, the way it was back then. And we've got some pretty good um, storytellers within our group and not not just storytellers but good stories to tell. Maddie Scarlett, Nigel Lappin, mm. Corey Enright. Um, but, again, I'm reminded that, you know, if I talk about some of the good players, you know, even in the early days of my career, the 18, 19-year-olds in our team don't even know who they are, much less their, their stories. And, and that's, a, that's a good leveller too. It's just a good reminder to me. Just, you, you, you know, you've, you've got to move on. Um, so the, the, the premierships for, for Brad Knight. Freeborn just bond away and you can see the result. Chris Scott takes the mark. The lines are set up again. Yep. They'll hold it up. He's He's good Fraser makes the lead. It's all over. The Brisbane Lions are premiers again. They have gone back to back in one of the most memorable grand finals in VFL AFL history. I, I hesitate to, to, to make it sound as if I don't cherish those moments because I really do. It was, we put, and and... My recollection of those years, particularly, you know, as I said, I was past my prime when we played in those premiership years. I mean, I think I was a contributor to those premierships, but I wasn't the player that I thought I could be. But I just became more and more anal about everything I did. So it's it's interesting listening to, um, I listened to Chris Judd's um, podcast with you. Mm. Um, now, clearly different um um, talents within the game and um, different levels of achievement. But what was eerily similar um, was the way that we went about our preparation. Right. And f- and for me it was, you know, to the point where um, if I could change it, I would actually take it, just ratchet it down a level or two uh, and just enjoy the moments for, you know, for what they were as opposed to you know, just being so driven for, the next game, you know, the next meal, the next bit of treatment. So you were at that you know, obsessive just, level. Yeah, to my detriment, I think. Hmm. Yeah, but having said that, when you are that way and you succeed, as we did in 01 and 2 in particular, I just think it makes it so much better. It's a great life lesson, really. I, you know, I, I, it was a point really well made um, by Juddy, which was, you know, at some point in your life, and hopefully it happens earlier rather than later, um, where you realise the harder you work and the more likely you are to succeed. Now, I guess I don't completely subscribe to the view that the best performers are always the one that, ones that work the hardest. And I know that's sort of a common theme across your yeah. podcast that, you know, hard work is required. I'm, I think, and yeah, no doubt it's required. Um, I think it's necessary, but it's not sufficient. So those... I don't think there's a talent out there that would say, look, or a really high achiever. Not many of them say, look, I actually did cut a few corners and, and I didn't work that hard. I think that's sort of, it's a prerequisite. Um, but, you know, sometimes for the majority of us, the vast majority of us, you know, hard work's not going to be enough. You can, you can, 
do everything required and more uh, and still not succeed. And um, that's a that's a difficult reality to come to terms with. But, what do you have to add but, to um, the hard work, do you reckon? Well, I think you do need the natural talent. Yeah, okay. Um, and it's, I mean, even if you apply it to the workplace, I mean, I'm a, I, I love the, um, the Netflix idea that they, they talk about. That, that's one of those things. Hard work is not enough. Uh, and your usefulness to an organisation will come to a natural conclusion at some point. You know, they talk about themselves as being more like a sporting team than a, than a family. You know, we're, we're not a family. You have a, a role that you need to deliver on. And, and once that's not the right thing for the organisation, such as a sporting team, um, then you'll get moved on. And that's the, I think, we, we try as hard as we can um, within our environment to set it up like a family. But it's always on the understanding that the, the club will, will trump the individual every single time, whether you're Gary Ablett Jr. or, you know, whether you only last on the list um, for a year. And, and that reality will bite really hard, but it's, um, it's something that you should be prepared for, which is a difficult conversation to have with those guys. And I think, you know, the, the nature of professional athletes, and I think this comes back to your point, that, or, or at least my point, that it's more than just hard work. The pros really, I think, spend the majority of their careers kidding themselves, you know, because you have to. If you live in, in reality, then trying to find a way to play through that groin injury, um, you know, is, is going to fail. Mm. You need to try to convince yourself of things that aren't necessarily true um, and convince yourself that, you know, you can perform at a level that, um, you know, for most people would be um, unrealistic. That answer has led me perfectly, perfectly, mate. You couldn't have done it better to, to my final question on your playing career. You mentioned your coach with Nigel Lappin. You mentioned the importance of team and how you see it now. And you mentioned a bloke playing through a remarkable situation with busted ribs to play in the grand final. I wasn't aware until I was again reading because I was trying to figure out why you didn't play in the third grand final that um, you went on a one. You were emergency? Yeah, it was a strange situation. I, that was really the... Um, the start of my groin issues, I played uh, the O2 um, grand final sort of under duress, um, had surgery at the end of that year and, and just hobbled through the um, 2003 season. Um, missed the first final, I think, because I just, you know, I, I literally couldn't kick the ball in the air. Hmm. I was, um, you know, so I don't want to rehash any of the stuff. Anyone that wants to... Um, get a feel for how groin injuries were managed um, in the uh, early 2000s. Go back to Juddie's podcast. Yeah. I'd, <laughs> so I, I can completely relate to all that stuff. But even with those pubic joint injections, I was training and kicking the ball along the ground. Um, how many injections are you getting in there? Oh, a lot. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, and, and again, it, it informs me around the management of our of players it now. And it was it just the, 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 and, and Juddy said it really well. It's um, it's not an indictment on um, any group of people at the time. It was just the way things were done. But um, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't aim to do them better now. Mm. And like even the way that playing hurt was a badge of honour in the old days um, is something that we try to guard against now. I mean, there's there's things where 
that you need to be able to play through and you need to show some some grit. But then there's just a counterproductive stupidity as well. And then that's probably the, um, the, the, the boat that I was in for that two or three year period. And it really burnt me um, for the rest of my career. Um, so I was hobbling through and um, I missed, I'm, I think I missed the prelim final or did I play that? No, I, missed, I played the first final, missed the prelim final um, and was trying to convince um, Lee that that week that I was good enough to play um, didn't do a good enough job, but, but, but that was obvious just by watching me. But um, we had a really wounded team that year. It was a um, whole lot of guys that were struggling. You know, Nigel Lappin, um, it was a bit more public, but there are a whole lot of other guys that were hobbling as well. And I think it was to the stage where sort of maybe you know, I thought I could play um, in the end, I was relieved that I didn't because my great fear was that I would play uh, and let the team down. Um, but to be honest, if they'd have said, we need you to play, I was there. You know, it wasn't as if I sort of fell on my sword. So I know, I know, and uh, I know you hate doing this, but I'm going to make you do it anyway. So, so are you in the rooms expecting to play, not expecting to play? Like what's the situation with Nigel? Like, how does it unfold? No, well, it, you know, Nigel's... You know, my best friend in footy, we got drafted the same year. We're coaching together now, um, you know, it, um, and we were really close then. And, you know, he had broken ribs and um, had got through the fitness test. And But he was really clear that if he couldn't play, then I would. And he actually had the conversation with me. He said, look, I, I think you should play. And it was <laughs> it was almost this competition between two, um, you know, proud people, but also um, ones that cared so much for each other that, you know, he was almost prepared to put himself out so I could play. And hopefully I did a good good enough job of saying, I don't care how bad your ribs are, you, you're going to be of more value to the team than I am. Um, and he, so I was stripped, ready to play. Um, Nige got through and, and funnily enough, I expected, given the state of the team, that we'd probably get beaten that day. Well, I don't think I was thinking that at the time, but that was sort of the logical conclusion. And by half time the game was over. Mm. We just... You know, had one of those days, the, the planets aligned and um, it was it was hard to escape the feeling that, well, I could have hobbled my way around there um, and we might have won by 50 points instead of 60 or whatever it was. Here it is! The Brisbane Lions have done it! The Hawks, the Bombers, the Crows, they couldn't do it in the 80s and the 90s, but the Lions have gone back to back to back to become the greatest side of the modern era. They are it, it, it doesn't feel like it at the time, but it's helped me a lot, that experience, you know, dealing with it, it's, it's human nature to feel really disappointed that you weren't a part of it, but, um, you know, really influential people in my lives have, um, you know, had the foresight to actually talk to me at, at different stages to say that, you know, you won't get judged on how you behave when things are going really well, you get judged on how you handle adversity. Um, and besides some private moments, I think I handled that situation pretty well. That is the end of Chris Scott Part A. Please roll into Part B, where we delve into the life of a modern coach. Listener.